I'd like to welcome our listeners to the Corbett Road uh, Q3 Summer Podcast. This is July of 2020. My name is Jeff McCoy, your host. I am a managing partner with Corbett Road and Director of Wealth Management. And with me, as always, is our head portfolio manager, uh, Russ Zarabian. Welcome, Rush. Hey, Jeff. Well, good. Um, as always, these these podcasts are designed to provide clients context in reference to kind of what we're experiencing in the market. Um, we've actually had a roller coaster ride since the beginning of the year. Um, we want to touch a little bit on today about sort of what we experienced from the February highs till today and and how we saw one of the quickest declines in U.S. history and also to one of the quickest recovery periods, you know, kind of what led us up to that point or what led us to today. If you can go back, Rush, and, and kind of talk about the ride that we had into February, you know, the catalyst behind it, obviously everyone knows what caused it, um, but sort of talk more of the technical side of what we experienced um, as we started to head down through March and then the recovery period and, and, and why we're here today. I mean, obviously, you know, things did not look good at this onset of this pandemic. There's still a lot of unknowns that we're dealing with, but kind of go through sort of the history of what we experienced from from that February timeframe till today. Sure, Jeff. Um, well, I think early on this year, uh, we knew about this emerging virus out of China, but up until the end of February, everyone felt that the virus was contained, that the Chinese government, while slow to get things under control, uh, had it under control by the end of February, and that it was uh, limited to Southeast Asia. But towards the end of February, as the S&P was making new highs, it was clear that the virus had left Asia and was spreading through Europe uh, as well as the United States. And that's when the market sort of uh, woke up and said, "Uh uh-oh, we're in big trouble here. And you saw the biggest decline in the shortest amount of time in the history of the market. I believe the peak to trough decline in the S&P 500 was 34%, and it occurred over 22 days, 22 trading days. And so uh, the issue there was the market was discounting a major global recession as a result of the pandemic and subsequent lockdowns. But the market is a discounting mechanism. You know, it it looks years ahead into the future, but it had discounted the decline. And really what was happening was uh, the concerns were more about liquidity and uh, what um, former managing director of PIMCO, Paul McCauley, uh, I think said well on in an interview, he said it, the market was worried that the economy was no longer a going concern. Basically, that it would not function at all and w- was behaving similarly to uh, post the post Lehman Brothers crash uh, in September of 2008. So really in the middle, uh, towards the end of March, there was great concern that credit would freeze up, that businesses would shut down, that liquidity would cease to be available uh, for things like payroll and just the normal functionings of businesses. And once the Fed stepped in and took that issue off the table, then there was no worry that the economy was no longer going concern and that they could look ahead to the recovery and look ahead into the the years of uh, future earnings growth, even though this particular year would still see uh, a record fall. Uh, on top of that, of course, we had the, the Federal Reserve, I'm sorry, the Federal Government step in and come out with a humongous stimulus package, uh, I think much bigger than anyone anticipated when the market started crashing, which put money into the hands of individuals. Uh, through unemployment insurance, uh, which was greater than the normal amount of unemployment insurance, as well as the uh, PPP lending program and uh, uh, various other things um, to help slow down the bleed and um, basically not put an end to the the recession, of course, but uh, really 
limit the amount of damage they felt that could be done. And so I think the market recognized this and rallied. Of course, it's it's continued to rally since then, since our last podcast, um, really quite remarkably. But that's basically what happened um, from February up until now. Perfect. So that gets back into another question I have. We have a, a internal mechanism that we use to determine our exposure to equity assets called, called MacroCast. And, and that MacroCast is an economic forecasting model. What is different than looking at an 08 market or an 02 market where we had an elongated period of decline in equity markets and again, elongated recoveries? And we know historically recession markets um, unwind over 10, 12 month periods and sometimes take a two year average return to get back to peak pricing. What was different this time? So obviously we had a very short term decline in equity markets leading into a, a, a recessionary markets, but a very quick recovery. So why is this market different um, than your typical bear market trends that we've seen in most historical recession markets? In most um, historical recessions, you have a process where the economy grows employment grows, confidence grows, um, spending grows, and eventually inflation grows. And when inflation starts to show itself, the Federal Reserve tightens monetary policy by increasing interest rates. Through that process, pushing interest rates up, they're making the cost of money go up. And eventually, all that stuff comes together and the economy starts to slow down. Banks start to tighten their lending procedures. And this all sort of rolls over into a weakening economy where spending falls, unemployment goes up, and the whole process begins anew once the Fed starts cutting rates and recognizing the economy is going into recession. And then once we get through a recession, whether it's mild or whether it's um, severe like it was in 2008, um, we begin a new economic cycle. What happened now was the economy was actually fine. It wasn't rolling over into a recession before the pandemic. The pandemic forced businesses and countries really across the globe to shut down everything, close all the businesses, keep everybody home and essentially put the entire economy in a coma. So this recession that we are in now or were in, we're not sure when the National Bureau of Economic Research will call the end to the recession, it was all self-induced and happened in an instant. Unemployment claims, initial claims for unemployment, which is a good weekly leading, uh, weekly proxy for the economy, went from, I think, 280,000 roughly to 6 million. I don't have that number exactly with me here, but within a week, and I mean, that's unprecedented. It's th that chart of initial claims is forever ruined based on this one, that one week change. Now it's come down each week since, but that typically progresses much slower over time. And so everything happened so quickly. The market fell quickly. The uh, unemployment went up quickly. Uh, GDP just collapsed within weeks where normally that process takes months, if not years in some cases for things to slow down. So Macrocast went from being pretty positive to, to uh, negative within a week. And so for us, it was the fastest it's ever dropped in the shortest amount of time. Normally we update it monthly, but we were updating it weekly given the circumstances and it just dropped like a rock um, because of, of the way we approached and the way we went into recession. So, so given that, that it dropped so quickly, you know, what decisions do we look at now that we've reached sort of market bottoms and we, we have a recovery? How do we distinguish this type of market recovery from your typical bear market rallies to a economic recovery phase. So, so kind of walk us through there, kind of what we're looking at in reference to some of the economic data that kind of supports why we, we look at equity assets and, and re-enter back in the equity markets at this point. 
Well, I think the markets, um, they typically look at things, are, are they getting better or are they getting worse? Or more specifically, are they getting better relative to expectations or getting worse relative to expectations? And, you know, we, uh, in our last macro musings, or the, or the one right before, we felt that the bottom of the economy was in. It, the economy bottomed probably in uh, April or maybe May, and things have been gradually improving since then. You know, not we're obviously not back to normal. Uh, you can see that in, in the travel data and um, traffic, et cetera. But we're clearly better in a better place for the economy than we were back in uh, March and April. And as I said before, the Federal Reserve you know, stepped in with unprecedented measures um, to, to provide liquidity to make sure businesses survive and to make sure that we basically, if once we get through this period, what, however long it is, we can look ahead and that the economy will eventually recover and earnings will eventually recover. So the market took all that in and, and said, okay, uh, things are improving now. Uh, we're not back to, to normal. We're not back to January levels, of course, and won't be for a while, but the worst is behind us. Yeah. And, and that kind of parlays into what we're experiencing in the market. You know, talk about what sectors are actually performing well. You know, typically what we see out of out of bear markets uh, declines or, or recessionary markets is typically small caps and cyclicals tend to be market leaders. But that's not been the case with this market. It's been very strange as far as what has been uh, market leaders versus historical recession markets. Is that correct? Right. I mean, I think coming off the March 23rd bottom, everything participated. Uh, but for the most part, and there has been periods, weeks where um, cyclical stocks, stocks that are very dependent on economic growth to to do well that have performed. But lately, and for most of the the recovery, uh, it's been led by sort of the, the stay-at-home stocks and, and really the companies that are most in, in the, the best place to to take advantage of the situation we're in. You know, tech companies, communication companies um, have performed um, the best. And those are among the largest companies in uh, the S&P 500 and certainly the, the NASDAQ index. Um, so that's what's led us out of the, the bottom. Although, you know, we are seeing, we did see broad participation, uh, participation, excuse me, from other sectors as well. But lately, and, and for the most part, tech is leading the way. And, and naturally, a lot of what a lot of people believe is that the trends that were expected over the next five to 10 years have been massively accelerated, thanks to the pandemic. Great. And so let's, most of our clients have a pretty diversified portfolio. It's, advice of giving that invest and diversify through asset classes, small cap, mid cap, international, large cap. What we're seeing right now is is a nice recovery really in, in the in the large cap or if you're S&P and US focused, what are we experiencing really in the other sectors of markets from a recovery standpoint and return? I think most of those markets like small caps and mid caps are still double digit down for the year. Is that correct? Yeah, they, they haven't performed well as the larger companies. Um, one reason for that is typically mid-caps, uh, middle-sized companies and smaller companies have more cyclical companies within them. A lot of those companies do not uh, have earnings or have you know negative earnings. So you usually see those do well when the economic recovery is strong and really revving up. And you haven't had that. Again, they're off their lows of March 23rd, but we've been led by large caps because those are the most dynamic uh, companies uh, around. And also- the, their revenues are typically more balanced between the U.S. and international, especially among um, the, the top five, top 10 companies. So that brings me to the next point about valuations then. If we're only seeing one sector or, or a particular concentrated area of equities that are performing well in the stock market, 
talk a little bit about the valuations of really those companies and, and where you see, do you see the price earnings multiple becoming concern uh, in the near term? And what are your thoughts there overall for those that those clients that are about what we call value investors? Well, valuation has never been the best timing tool uh, to get in and out of markets. It, it can give you a decent sense of where returns are for the broader indexes over, let's say, a five or 10 year period. But you've never been able to say, okay, the, the PE of the market or the PE of this sector is is at this level now, therefore the market's going to correct. It just That's not how the markets function. And yes, the, the price to earnings ratio of the largest companies and of course of tech companies is up, but those companies are also making a lot of money. I mean, this is not uh, you know, this is not the the tech bubble of the late '90s when you had all these companies with huge market caps, uh, seeing tremendous returns. They weren't actually making a whole lot of money. This time, these companies are earning tremendous amounts of, of cash. They are dominating their industries. So I th- we do think it's a little different, and we certainly wouldn't look at just look at valuations to determine whether um, the market is is set to fall or not. A great point. Now, you you mentioned earlier, I think a lot of things, especially in this area, in the D.C. area market, for some of our listeners, we're hearing a lot about debt levels. And that comes into the equation that we had a huge amounts of stimulus that was added to the market to help prop this market back up or to provide some confidence in the market. Talk about the debt levels historically. That seems to be a concern. Are, are we eventually going to pay for this down the road? Where do you see we are from an interest expense standpoint? Can you give us just a high level overview? I know it's a very complex subject matter, um, but just for our listeners here in the DC market, a lot of the questions from clients is the debt level, the debt level, the debt level. We hear that quite a bit. Sure. Um, well, look, from my perspective, way I care about the debt or we care about the debt is you know how does it affect markets and how does it affect our clients' potential returns? Uh, outside of that, it's really not in uh, our place to decide what's right and, and wrong in terms of how much debt we should take on. But what we've found is that debt levels do not seem to correlate at all with market performance, whether it's exist, you know, current market performance or future market performance. It's not something that you know we are worried about at this point in terms of affecting future S and P five hundred returns. Let's say we think other factors have much greater impact on returns. Valuation levels do impact long-term returns, we believe. Uh, the Fed policy absolutely does. And overall, debt levels are not as a, a, a big a concern uh, from an investing standpoint. Overall, we will say this. Um, it's been a concern. We've heard it from our clients for years, um, going back to the end of the, the uh, Great Recession. Um, it hasn't seemed to matter yet. The interest expense that you mentioned is a very good point. You know, In the mid to early 1990s, the amount of money the government spent on um, paying the interest on the debt was less as a percentage of GDP than it is now. Rates are much lower. And so the government you know, is able to borrow money, uh, even if they're borrowing a, a lot of it, at a much le- a much lower rate than they were back in the 1990s. And you know, people can ex- kind of see this themselves in their own lives. Mortgage rates are way down compared to what they were even you know 15 years ago. But if you go back before then, you had mortgage rates of you know seven, eight, nine percent. If you go back way back into the eighties, it was in the double digits. So now mortgage rates are what thirty years, I think three and a quarter maybe. So uh, rates are down across the board, and you know that does allow you a little bit more flexibility on taking on debt. And of course, the U.S. government issues its own currency, issues its own debt. It gives it a lot more flexibility than a country that has to borrow in a, a foreign currency and pay back in a foreign currency. We just have more um, flexibility in that regard as well. Great, great answer, Rush. And, and let's take a look at 
you know, obviously we're seeing a number of cases in the U.S. that starts to go up, especially in certain geographic areas, you know, Florida, Texas, California. You know, what are our expectations going forward? How we handle this type of market? Um, do you anticipate a more global shutdown again, or do you see this more contained into geographic areas? You know, where is our concern of, of sort of restepping back into uh, where we were in March with, with major uncertainty when it comes to the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, obviously, everyone's concerned with the increase of cases. I think if we take a step back, if we go back to, let's say, April um, through the beginning of summer, you had sort of a a perfect trifecta for the markets. You had the virus was declining. uh, The economy was starting to recover because we had already shut down everything and we were starting to open back up and the market was recovering as a result of it. Um, Now, really, the easiest way to say it is I think from now on, it's fits and starts. We, as a firm, do not expect the country to go into lockdown again. Think that that is that's done. It's not going to happen. Um, different parts of the country are handling this better or worse than others, and so you know, you'd probably see more targeted action to, by the states, where maybe you you do have some uh, businesses closed down in the states that are having really uh, bad outbreaks. But in terms of a nationwide shutdown, we don't think that's going to happen again. And so lockdown and shutting the economy down is highly unlikely at this point. And you know, frankly, we know a lot more as as a country and as a in the globe on how to handle this than we did in February or March. So I think a lot of those measures that you're starting to see take place um, will help keep the economy sort of afloat. Now, there are certain things we believe that will not come back anytime soon: travel, concerts, you know, any event where lots of people have to get together uh, or and go places it's probably not going to be back to normal for a long time, at least until we get a vaccine and most of the country's vaccinated. So I, I think the markets are reflecting that though. You're seeing the areas of the market that are struggling the most that have not recovered as much are the areas that whose earnings power has substantially declined and who um, will be, it'll be a while before, you know, they're able to get their businesses back and running. So that's really a, a long winded answer to uh, not as bad as February, March, April, but fits and starts again, not, a full, uh, consistent recovery necessarily going into the end of the year. So I think what you're alluding to is that we could have volatility from this point forward as as we, you know, with fits and starts typically comes uncertainty in markets that it's not uncommon for markets to have volatility as we continue through this to get some type of direction. Um, yeah. And, and, and you, volatility means both directions, right? Upside and downside. So we've had a pretty steady recovery since the March 23rd lows. But we've had a couple of days where, I mean, uh, one time back in uh, earlier earlier in June, the market dropped 6%. And that was pretty much it. Uh, there may have been another day or two where it was down, but it's recovered since then. So we expect you know something like that um, to continue f- between now and at least until the election, or at least until we get clarity. Uh, one thing I didn't mention earlier is you know, another reason why the markets may not react as negatively to um, some, some cl- lockdowns or um, <clears throat> slowing of the economy is we're that much closer to more treatments, we're that much closer to a vaccine. Again, we know a lot more. So the closer we get to that moment, the less the market's going to, we think the market's going to worry about, you know, any any negativity in the short run. Yeah. And, I, you know, obviously the election is going to be a big conversation piece, but we want to sort of hold that off until we get closer to the election process as we get closer with more clarity. Yeah. Uh, and we'll discuss that in our fall uh, podcast or our Q4 podcast as we get into the election process. But what are your final thoughts? I mean, obviously we've you know we've taken about twenty minutes today of our clients' time. Um, 
what are your closing thoughts in reference to what we may experience? You know, why clients should stay the course in this type of market? I'd love to hear what you have to say there. Well, I think um, it's been a heck of a year, not only um, for everyone personally, but uh, for investors as well. And we think they should stay the course, uh, stick with their portfolios as they are allocated, um, and really just be patient. Um, that's probably the best advice we can give is, like I said, we think we have fits and starts that we're going to you know, have the ups and downs uh, with not only the cases, but the economic data as well. And you know, on the other side, we think we're pretty optimistic for 2021. We think things will improve significantly. And so you know, we're going to continue to stick to our processes. If the data suggests otherwise than what we think, then we will make adjustments as necessary. Otherwise, we're going to uh, keep on going here and, and hope for uh, a good 2021. Yeah. And just a caveat to that, I think what's important too is is also investors, when they look at their investments and their investment portfolios, to make sure that they have liquid cash on hand. I mean, obviously, emergencies uh, do pop up and investments is not a place where we want to start selling equities to be able to supplement cash needs for clients. So take a look at your finances. If you are a client, make sure that you have substantial cash flow to be able to handle, you know, really six months minimum time frame um, in the event that markets do not cooperate the way we want them to. And they don't always do that. Okay. And Rush, as always, thank you for taking the time today. And, and for our clients and for our listeners, um, as we're in between podcast periods that we do quarterly, uh, feel free to actually look at our monthly newsletters. Our monthly newsletters will provide a lot of insight in reference to our macro uh, economic views, current and outlook. And uh, as always, we appreciate our listeners for tuning in. And as always, we'll catch you next time as we get into our Q4 podcast, where we'll start digging deeper into the election process and how that may impact the markets. And thank you for listening today and have a great day. All the best to our listeners and to our clients. Take care.